0: Help us, Lord, to hear you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, so actually, what I want to do is sort of piggyback on what Jeff said because it's awesome how God moves and how He crafts things. Because I, uh, I know Jeff and I didn't talk about what his meditation was going to be and the scripture that we were going to have earlier up. But Sue, if you could go back to the scripture. That we had earlier, it's from Isaiah 49. And uh, Jeff, when he first started speaking in his communion meditation, talked about forgetting and remembering. And he applied it to the Lord's Supper and remembering that. But go back to that scripture verse, Sue, the the one in the service that we did. We're going to jump around a little bit. Again, this is from Isaiah 49, and it's significant, okay? So, um, in it, Isaiah is, is prophesying um, exile, prophesying bad things coming, suffering coming. It's their own fault, the children of the Lord. It's their own fault, 100%. It's basically, think of it like the consequences of their actions. And throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, man, the consequences of leaving the Lord, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But he's always talking about restoration, He's always talking about salvation. It's one of the great things about the prophets. They're very honest and upfront with the consequences. we, We would say maybe the New Testament way of saying it would be the wages of sin, the consequences of going our own way. They're upfront about that, but they are also upfront about the power of God and the salvation in Jesus, right? So, so, shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Now, here's where it gets good because this is, this is my part. Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten. Anybody know what that's like? You go through the tough times Maybe it's your own fault even, but you hit those tough times and you feel like the Lord has abandoned you. Where are you, Lord? Where are you in all this, right? It's like the disciples with Jesus in the boat. Lord, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping through this? You've forgotten me? The Lord says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? she may forget, a mom could forget, but I will not forget you. He takes one of the most significant and powerful relationships, the relationship between a mother and an infant child. It's interesting because having gone to a lot of nursing homes and been on Alzheimer's units, you will see from time to time women with dolls. And To them, it's a baby, right? And and they may have forgotten their own family members' names. They may have forgotten their own name. Everything else is forgotten. But there is something in that relationship of a mother to a child that is, I, I I mean, it is one of the most significant, most intimate, most powerful relationships. Says a lot about the working of our enemy that he would do so much to try and dilute that power, to try and um, destroy that relationship. But anyway, God takes that relationship and says, as powerful as that is, as significant as it is, as crazy, as, as insane as it sounds, that a mother would forget a child on her own breast, that will happen before I forget you. A mom will forget her own children before I forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. The great promise of the scriptures from cover to cover, the the promise that we, we see broken in Genesis 3 with our sin, Not the promise broken, but but our uh, involvement in the promise broken in Genesis 3. Then mentioned to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will be with you. That promise carried all the way to the end of the book. That promise that God will not leave us or forsake us. The promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. That promise of the presence and the attention of the Lord God. The big one. I wonder if my whole life is going to be spent just exploring that whole concept. I mean, what is our faith walk? If not, every step learning to trust a little bit more in the presence of God. To trust what He says about us. Not myself, not others, but what he says about me, right? The presence of God. This is important. It is the big thing because if we were able, are able to trust in his presence, to trust in his attention, to trust in his goodness, then everything else is easy. Everything else is cake. It really is. Grab uh, your bulletin or a piece of paper. If you have to, grab one of the offering envelopes in front of you, because I want you to write this down. There's pens in the pew. I'm not going to promise they work. I want you to write this down. This is a quote. It's not my words. a person by the name of Maxie Dunham, D-U-N-N a.m. Write this down. Most people prefer, most people prefer, wow, I feel like I'm like a teacher or something. (laughs) Most people prefer the hell of a comfortable situation. The hell of a comfortable situation. Most people prefer the hell of a comfortable situation rather than the joy. Rather than the joy of an unpredictable one. Most people prefer the hell of a comfortable situation rather than the joy of an unpredictable one. Do you understand what Maxie is saying here? That I would rather be stuck in a bad situation, but at least it's one that I'm comfortable with. It's the one that I know, right? I'd rather settle for less comfortably than experience joy and not have that control, okay? I would rather stay in a warm bathtub filled with snot and say, at least it's warm, right? Then, then, trust God when he says, why don't you come out and enjoy a nice warm shower at my house? Well, but, but Lord, I know what I have here. I'm not sure what I'd have at your house, Now, I realize we sit here on a Sunday morning in church, nice pews, and we realize how insane that sounds. Why wouldn't we trust what the Lord says is in His house? Why wouldn't we trust His goodness, that the good things He has for us, why wouldn't we trust Him? We can say that here in the church, but when we're out in the mission field, how easy is it to say, Lord, I'll I'll take care of it because at least I know what I'm going to get, Most people would prefer the hell of a comfortable situation rather than the joy of an unpredictable one. Let's go to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Page 683 in your pew Bibles, if you want to use them. Now when he saw the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven." We've been looking at this uh, opening part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically looking at the Beatitudes, specifically looking at the joy that God's given us in this, looking at these twin ideas of delight and wonder in our Christian life. Again, my my goal in life is to really listen to the Spirit and enjoy everything that He has for me. I kind of feel like, um, well... Story relating in my life. Um, for the longest time, I hated steak. We would go to a nice steakhouse wherever, when I was young, it was the Ponderosa. Anyone, come on. You'd go to a nice steakhouse and, uh, you know, whatever you want, order whatever you want. I want a burger. I want a burger. I know what I'm going to get with a burger. You can't, it's, it's hard. People can do it, but it's hard to screw up a burger, right? So for the longest time, I had no, no stake, meh, whatever. Well, I mean, I mean, early years of our marriage, Barbie and I go out to her uh, family uh, out in Nebraska, Western Nebraska, uh, go to a guy who owned feedlots. Basically, he owned the feedlot in Western Nebraska that all the cattle in the North and South Dakota, they bring it down to the feedlot before it goes out to the slaughter. I mean, this was a cattle guy, Right and uh, Wine Rice was his name, really nice guy, great guy, a good brother in the faith, but he has us out to his house, and he makes steak, right? And I'm like, eh, steak, I wish it was burgers, but I'll eat it. Nebraska beef. <laughs> Cut it with a fork. Melt in your mouth. You, anybody here like A1 with their steak? Okay, I'm, I'm a big A1. You wouldn't want it, you, you'd get that stuff away from me. This is so delicious. I mean, it was eye-opening. They were, by the end of the night, everyone was kind of mocking me because I was shoving meat down my gob left and right. I mean, I was, and of course, uh, wine rice, he keeps bringing it out. And I'm like, well, if you're bringing it, I'll keep eating it. So, you know, I think I went into a meat coma for three days after that. But I had no idea what I was missing, because, hear me on this, up until that point, all the steak that I had was cooked by my dad, who his idea of a good steak was leather piece. <laughs> I love my dad, right? But, you know, he, you got, I don't want to get sick. you got to make sure it's brown in the middle. No, I realize that now. No, you know, I want it as raw as possible. Moo, you know, it needs to speak to me as you get it out on the plate. I didn't realize what I was missing. And so how many opportunities did I pass up? something good. Folks, I don't want to pass up anything the Lord has for me because I realize that what the Lord has, the goodness of God in our life, is so much better than anything else that the world offers and anything else that I could construct myself. We come to this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So the idea here, well, the first point that I would make for you is, are you ready for this? Okay. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous this is significant because the audience that Jesus was talking to had some of the religious leaders who would have thought they are righteous. And then you had a lot of the other people who thought, well, the righteous, it's those religious people, the priests at the temple, but it's not me. Jesus does not exclude those that hunger and thirst for righteous. Well, First reason he doesn't exclude him is because the reality is whether you think you're righteous or not, you're not righteous. You're just not. Okay, so you're you're done for. Period. Jesus uh, will even quote, and Isaiah says, you know, our righteousness, all the righteous deeds that we have, we think we're so great. Our righteousness, filthy rags. Won't even get into how disgusting that is. Filthy rags. It's garbage. Our righteousness is nothing. All the good. Don't think you're going to get to heaven and uh, all of a sudden say, Lord, you should let me in because, and then start listing all the reasons you, know, you think you should be, le- there, there's only one. You get to, Lord, please let me in because I know Jesus and he knows me. That's it, right? And that has nothing to do with your righteousness. So now, but hear me, he doesn't say blessed are the righteous. He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, I would ask anybody here know they're not righteous? Wow, no hands. <laughs> anybody here wish they were? Yeah. Okay? That's hunger and that's thirst for righteousness. I love what uh, Amanda said about confession. The problem with not confessing is we give that uh, sin or whatever it is control over us when we don't confess it, when we don't get it out. It gives it power that it does not have. All authority and power in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus, okay? That's where the power is. If it's not of Jesus, it has no power. The only power the enemy has is the power we give him. Satan goes around as a what kind of lion? Doesn't say he has teeth, does it? Doesn't say he has teeth. You go back to the beginning of the book. The, the serpent, he didn't, he didn't force Adam and Eve to do it. He had no power. All he had was lying words. They believed it. They gave it power. I believe the lie. I give it power. Here's the awesome thing, folks. You may have been given, you may have given the lie the power, but you can take the power back. Exactly what Amanda was saying. How do you get rid of the power of sin in your life? Confession. You get it out. You find a brother or a sister, someone that you trust, someone filled with the Spirit that you know, you know, you can go to, and, and they're not going to be over you or under you. They're going to stand with you. And you say, Listen, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. And here's what I did. Here's what I did again and again and again, right? And I need help. And they say, I've heard your confession. Good news. The book of James says when we confess our sin one to another there is forgiveness and the grace of God. Cut the lie off at the knees. Whatever has power in your life, in your relationships, if it is not of the Lord, take the power back. It was never it was never belonged to it to begin with. Okay? So the first thing that Jesus says here, the first point I want to make is, it's not blessed are the righteous, it's blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think the problem here is, here's my second point, is um, we have to be careful that what we're hungering and thirsting for are the right things. Because first of all, we live in a culture that has completely bombed us. I mean, it, it, it is oversensitized with everything. And I'm not just going to uh, throw social media under the bus like I always do or the internet and all that. It's everywhere and it's been here all the time. As long as I've been alive, I have uh, been born into a culture that says, TJ, let me tell you what you should want. I mean, I remember growing up and uh, my dad would always talk about uh, the, the American dream. Anybody? The American dream, you know, 2.5 kids. I don't know where the 0.5 came in, but, you know, 2.5 kids, a nice house with a white pit. Where in the world? Who said picket fences? I don't want a picket fence. I want something like, uh, you know, a concrete wall with razor wire at the top and big spotlights. You know, something cool like a fortress or a castle. Anyone want like a castle house, you know? No, but we live in a culture, and I always have, of a culture that says this is what you should want. And it's just gotten worse. I mean, now, like, they, they specifically target you, and now you have algorithms out there that are saying, hey, TJ, here's what you, here's what you want. Uh, bizarrely so. I uh, was talking with Dave the other day. I looked up Tough Boots because I wanted a pair of really tough, kicking boots, right? And so I, I Googled it. Unfortunately, somehow, now Google thinks I'm a motorcycle aficionado, because I get all these motorcycle adverts to me. Um, anyway, I won't, I won't continue with my conversation with Dave on that. But anyway, so a culture that tells you what you should want a culture that tells you what you should be. And and folks, we're getting to a place where the culture that claims to be so tolerant is surprisingly intolerant. Surprisingly intolerant if you have a differing view or a differing opinion on things. But we live in a culture saturated with idols. Idols, uh, Bible, word, anything that wants to take the place of God in our life. And and the, the problem with even saying that, because I preach that for years and years and years, an idol, is anything that wants to take the place of God in my life. Here's the problem with that. Where is the place of God in my life? Where in my life should not there be Jesus? There should be Jesus in every area of my life, everywhere. So if there's anything that encroaches into a large spot in my life. Then it's an idol. Jesus told the great parable of the rich fool. I, I think I have that scripture in the sermon. I'm going to call on Sue to help me out with uh, the clicker here. Jesus says, "Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of grief, greed, because life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions." And then he told them this parable: "The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest." He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, on the surface, this looks pretty darn good. The guy has been blessed with an outpouring uh, of crops, and, and he's being a good steward in storing it up. I mean, this is like, he's, he's doing the right thing. He's investing in a wise 401k, bigger barns, you know, and he's storing it up. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to come to a point in my life where I don't want to work as hard anymore. Hey, you know what? The older I get, the more nice that looks, you know, not have to struggle, not have to work as hard. And I'll say to myself, hey, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, up until this point, there's nothing wrong with what the guy is doing. I really don't think there is. But God says to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. There is the problem. He was looking to the retirement plan for his security. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know what? Why not eat, drink, and be merry with little as well? Why do you have to have all the grain? Why do you have to have the big retirement plan? Why not enjoy God's gift in the moment, whether you have little or whether you have much? The problem with the guy wasn't that he was being a good steward, God's saying, don't be a good sword. No, he's not saying that at all. It's not that he stored stuff up for later. I don't think that was the problem either. The problem was that in the pursuit of that, he had forgotten the main thing, which was was God, which is Jesus. How busy our lives get, how the rat race just wears us down. And before we know it, the worries and the anxieties and the storing up stuff for tomorrow, all of a sudden we have forgotten that our very breath is a gift from God. Imagine delighting in every moment because it's the moment you have, the gift from God. The first thing I think we see is this this culture of idols all around us. Hey, look at me. Hey, take interest in me. Hey, get work. Oh my goodness, not even 2020, and I'm already sick of politics. I'm so sick of politics. Oh my. Because it's not, hey, look at me, I'm enticing you. It's, hey, let me make you afraid, right? And whether you're afraid that Donald is going to get elected again or whether you're afraid somebody else is going to get elected again, it's all fear based. Folks, guess what? God's already in that election if he hasn't come back by then. Lord, please come back by then. <laughs> We're ready. Church, spirit, and the bride say, come, Lord, right? But, but if he doesn't, then guess what? He's already there. It's a done deal. And it doesn't really matter. You know why? Because in the end, God is still on his throne, okay? This country is not going to rise or fall based on who's in a political position. This country is going to rise and fall based on the favor of God, okay? So, so idols on the one hand, but that really... Because, I mean, we're pretty good in the church and in my brothers' and sisters' groups. We're pretty good at saying idols shouldn't be this bad, whatever. The thing that's more dangerous for us is not the idol part of it. It's the weak faith part of it. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says this, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer even try to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about, there's that righteous word, righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here we have in the book of Hebrews a statement about the quality of the brothers and the sisters. And Paul, or whoever the writer of the Hebrews was, the writer here is saying the quality is really poor. You guys have been sitting and listening enough, you know enough, that right now you should have this You should know this. And by the way, he's not talking about, I believe, an intellectual knowledge. Uh, The writer here is not saying you need another good Bible study. He's going to go on to say, uh, talk about the elementary teachings. Again, the stuff that you should already know about laying on of hands and baptism and all this stuff. He's not saying you need another Bible study. He's saying you need to get the stuff that's up here and you need to be using it. You need to be experiencing Jesus in your life and the power of Jesus in your life. Notice, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. When God gives us a word, when God gives us a promise, And I'll just speak for myself. This is how the Lord works uh, or is working with with me. And, And what that means is as I'm going through the scriptures or going through life, I'll be going through life and the events of life will happen to me or something or I'm going through the scripture, something will pop out at me. Anybody have that? Okay. Right now, for some reason, I'm in 2 Peter, the first chapter, the great promises of God. I don't know why. I was, I was going through it. I can't even remember where I heard it or if I read it, but either way, I've been there and I've been sitting there for a couple of months. In 2 Peter, the first chapter, this promise of God, when God gives us a word, when God gives us a promise, a promise, again, tailor-made for your life, your circumstance, this book was written for us, folks. It was. Like right now, in your life, right now, you, okay? So... Holy Spirit wants to say, there's something in there I have for you right now, in your circumstances, in your situation. Well, TJ, how do I know if it's not, you know, I don't want to read Judas went out and hung himself and say, that's for me. You know, no, that's a bad joke, preacher joke. Anyway, (laughs) it's about context and and hermeneutics. Anyway, so, so how do you know? Well, you go through, you listen to the Spirit speaking to your spirit. Sometimes you go through and you read something that you don't like, makes you uncomfortable. Something that you say, man, I really, uh, I don't know if I like that, but it's training to hear the Spirit of God. Not, Not the rabbit hole on that, but it's training ourselves to listen to the Spirit of God. Sorry, back to the main point. When God gives us a word, when God gives us a promise, it comes with action. It comes with action. So let's take one of the big boys. So say you have a circumstance or a situation in life where the Lord just leads you to Romans 8, that God works all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That amazing promise. I mean, this is one of the big cheeses here, one of the big boys. Anybody love that verse? Come on. Anybody cling to that verse, that promise? Come on. Okay, when you get that word or that promise from the Lord, you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to have that put to the test, that you're going to have circumstances in your life that are going to whisper in your ear, God can't make this good. You are so broken, God can't fix you. Your relationship is so far gone, God can't bless it. Your circumstances are so far polluted that God can't clean it up and use it to your good. But Lord, my marriage is over, it's a done deal. Papers are signed. They're gone and now married to another. What, what, are you, what are you going to do with that, Lord? I don't have answers. I don't have answers. Don't, don't come looking to the preacher for answers for every specific circumstances because more and more I'm going to be able to say, I don't know, but I know who does. But see, that's the whole point of the legs on a promise. That's the whole faith part of the promise. You with me on that? I mean, it wouldn't be much faith. God wouldn't have much action to a promise that's so clear and dry and you've got it already. He says, no, you need to learn this. You need to trust me. So I'm going to let Satan's roar in your life. Don't give, him, don't give him the teeth. Don't give him the power. But you'll hear him roar. Oh, does he roar. Oh, does he roar. But guess what? I know a lion who's bigger than that roaring lion. And if you let Jesus roar... He will drown out the words of the devil. Well, not to rabbit hole on that, but I want to again emphasize, it seems like the Spirit's leading us here with things that have already been mentioned. Folks, guess what? If you're struggling and, and you're hearing the wrong voices, guess what you have at your disposal? You have brothers and sisters here. But TJ, I've already screwed up. Okay, fair enough. Guess what? I love what Amanda said. We've all screwed up majorly. Get in here, confess it, get rid of the power of that lie, and get on with it. Get on with it and claim the promise, the word that God has for you today. The writer of Hebrews says, you guys should be stronger in your faith. Honestly, the idols of the world do not worry me as much as the weakness of our tribes Because I believe the words of Jesus when he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We have the power here. I don't believe the world is going to prevail against us ever at all, period. I believe that if there's a failure, it's because the church hasn't kicked down the door. We're supposed to be at the gates of hell kicking down the door. Kicking down the door, going in, kicking Satan's tail, and taking names. That's what we're called to do. That's what we get to do. But see, we we have settled for a weak faith, a mediocre faith, a faith that is not attractive to people outside because it's nothing to it. It's it's, it's a watered down wine. I'm not a wine drinker, so that metaphor means nothing to me. You know what does mean something to me? Anybody uh, enjoy a good soft drink? Okay, it's such a teetotaler. Anyway, so I, I got my Coke Zero. And uh, the, for me, the best Coke Zero is, uh, you know, an ice cold two liter. And then I put ice in my glass and you pour it over there. And oh, it's so good on a hot day, right? But has anyone ever had their uh, Coke or drink or whatever it is with ice in it? And then you walk away for a couple hours and then you come back, okay? And what has happened to the ice? The ice has melted, and what do you have? Yuck is what you got. You got yuck, because no one likes anything watered down, okay? No one likes anything watered down. Folks, we are being led by the Spirit into a a time when so much of what we thought was faith, we have to reevaluate and say, you know what? That really wasn't faith at all. It was nice, and it was good, and it had its place in that time. But we're moving into uncharted territory. We're moving into strange worlds. The culture does not look like the culture I grew up with. But God knows that. God says, TJ, you were made for this time. I made you. I'm filling you with my spirit so that you can go out, Matthew 5, we just read it, and be what? salt and light. Salt and light. But I'm not going to be salt and I'm not going to be light if I'm looking for righteousness that is watered down. If my faith has not been tested so that I, and I love this passage in Hebrews because he says what? They have through constant use trained themselves to distinguish between what? Good and evil to distinguish between good and evil. On its basest level, cookies on the lowest place possible, to distinguish between good and evil means that I have the ability to go out into the world, to go down to Cincinnati during the Pride Festival, and I can say I stand against what is clearly hurting these people, but I stand for these people because they are made in the image of God and Jesus loves them. And if Jesus loves them, then I will love them too. I mean, that's that's its base level because when I translate to my own life, I say, Lord, there's things about my life I don't like. There's things about my life that I hate, but you still love me. So how much more should I be able to distinguish between the evil and the good? that makes sense? Is that off the rails? We need to get to a place where we are taking the light in here, going out there, distinguishing between good and evil, and living the power of Jesus in our relationships, especially the tough ones. Right now, I, I know... Even in my own life, I have hard relationships filled with hard decisions. You th- you know, don't, don't ever think that, oh, TJ, he's got it all figured out. It's easy for him. Oh, my word. I mean, I, I can't believe, you know, my sister Pam comes up here, and she's telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with that, you know? I know. Love you, sis. You know? I, it, it's okay, though. It's Okay. Because ours is not to have everything figured out. Ours is to figure, Jesus, how do you want me in this relationship? What do you want me to do? Sometimes you just love a person. Sometimes that's all you can do is just love them. Hey, we disagree, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to let you know I love you. I got, I got a, a friend who calls me all the time, you know, and trust me, we are very opposed on so many things, but I make sure I tell him, repeatedly and constantly, hey, I love you. I love you. Because if there comes a time when there's a parting of the ways and he leaves, he is going to know that this whole relationship on my side of thing has been, hey, I love you. We disagree on these very fundamental things. We disagree on issues of good and evil, sin and not sin. But I love you Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will, excuse me, they will be filled. Okay, what else do I have for you? Hmm. Let me give you one last thing thinking about this idea of righteousness, going back all the way full circle. Because again, God doesn't say you have to have everything figured out to be salt and light. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not blessed are the righteous. The righteous aren't salt and light. It's those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ that are salt and light, right? So don't say, oh, you know what? I'm gonna start doing good. I'm gonna start going out. I'm gonna start loving people in the name of Jesus when I get all my ducks in a row. Never gonna happen, okay? You either do it or you don't. You start now. God can work with that. Willing heart, hungry heart, thirsty heart, God can work with that. A satisfied heart, a complacent heart, a heart that has all things figured out, God can't work with that. So in 2 Corinthians, that last passage there, Sue, if we could, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In the time, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. And I tell you, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So, so, in a nutshell, what God is saying is that don't worry, in Christ, you have the righteousness of God. It's not your righteousness, you're clothed in His. But nevertheless, those who are hungry and thirsty, they will be satisfied in Jesus with the righteousness of God. But don't take that righteousness and squander it. Don't take the good gifts God wants to give you and squander them. Don't squander the plan God has for your life. This is something, you know, rather than raising up generations that just have a set of rules, do this, don't do that, we should be raising up a generation that trusts God, that trusts God with their lives. If God says, I should use my body in this way, then I'm going to trust him. I mean, I know the world is out there saying, uh, you know, get all you can, you know. D- the world we live in, it's nuts. Uh, thank you. No, I mean, it's it's crazier than you even think. Um, I know I'm go- going over here, and I'm really going to go off the rails, but uh, Barbie got a Fitbit, anybody, you know, because healthy and, you know, health, right? And uh she put in her Fitbit, you know, her birthday and all the important information, and put that she was a female. Well, on her fi- little ones, I'm sorry, on her Fitbit, um, it has a, a lot of personal information. But you're, you, the, the whole idea behind it is you're tracking your life so that you can see how you need to become healthier. There's a place where you check: Did you last night have protected or unprotected intercourse? Like you get to track that. I'm thinking. And she's telling me this. She's like, this is a check mark on there. And I'm like, that's insane. That's insane. It just blows my mind. It actually just shows how naive I am about the world we live in right? Because apparently there's enough demand for that that they have it as part of this wristwatch thing. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know why it's crazy? Because God invented Intimacy. And God's plan for intimacy blows away anything the world has to offer. It does. I believe that with every fiber of my being. So rather than raising up a generation that says, don't do this, it should be raising up a generation that says, guess what? When you have a covenant relationship blessed by God, when you find that person that you have a covenant relationship with, that God is in the middle of that, Oh, baby. It's what God made for you. It's a good gift. Right? I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of His salvation. Don't put the gifts of God off any longer. Wherever he is calling you, whatever area of your life, whatever relationship, whatever brokenness, whatever insecurity, whatever baggage you have, whatever place of fear that you have, don't put off God's favor. Even one more day. We're gonna pray here in a moment. If you wanna come down and receive more prayer, if you wanna come down and maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus, then you can come down and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the beauty of it. When you say, God, my life is yours, he comes running and clothes you with Jesus. So if you've never made that decision, if you've never made that confession, confession to another person, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Guess what? Don't wait another day. Come down. Come down. This is not a perfect tribe by any means, if you think coming in those doors, you came to join the perfect church, go right out the doors because you're not, you've, you've come to a place, a man to hit it on the head. We've all screwed up royally, but we all come to Jesus. We're not here to judge your baggage because I don't want you judging mine. I'm here to listen to your baggage and help you carry it. I'm here to mourn with those that mourn, rejoice with those that rejoice, confess our sin to the Lord, and follow the Holy Spirit. That's what we're about. I have a final prayer. We'll say it. We'll pray, and then we'll go. Lord, say this prayer with me. Lord, make me hungry for the life you have for me. Make me thirsty for the way you want my relationships to be. Thank you for the grace you are pouring out right now And help me to receive every last drop. In the name of Jesus, I come to you. Amen. Father, hear these prayers. Hear the prayer and the cry of our heart. Go with us now, Lord, as we go out to be salt and light. Father, we don't feel very salty, and we don't feel like we shine very bright. But we trust you, Lord. We're like the man that came to you, Jesus. We believe, help our unbelief. We pray this in your name, Holy Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may go in peace.